The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. C. diff, spores, and more is brought to you by Clorox Healthcare, trusted solutions for your infection prevention needs. Visit us on the web at CloroxHealthcare.com. Welcome to C. diff, spores, and more with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here's your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome to the program, and thank you for joining us today. We would like to thank our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare, for making this program possible. Visit the Clorox Healthcare website to learn more about their products, keeping environments safer. CloroxHealthcare.com forward slash C. Radio. It's a great pleasure to introduce our guest joining us today, Stephen D. Johnson, a physician assistant who has practiced in both the internal medicine and geriatric medicine departments at the Palo Alto Foundation for the last 34 years. He trained at the Stanford Primary Care Associate Program and graduated as a physician assistant. Stephen has taught the geriatric medicine curriculum at the Stanford Primary Care Associate Program and has served on the California Department of Consumer Affairs, Physician Assistant Committee, now board, and on the Professional Practice Council of the American Academy of Physician Assistants. Stephen joins us today to discuss elder care and the challenges encountered in a skilled nursing setting. At this time, I would like to welcome our guest, Stephen Johnson, to the program. Thank you for joining us today, Stephen. Nancy, thank you so much for having me today. I'd, I'd just like to start by saying I'm so impressed with the website that you have and the programs that you're producing. Um, the radio audience certainly can't see me, but I'm an older man, um, over 65, and I trained 38 years ago. And when I trained, there was a brand new illness that was just approaching America, which was the HIV virus and AIDS. And it strikes me that that, we're, that that was a very critical time in infection control and infection prevention. And we're approaching another critical time with um, a multidrug-resistant bacteria like uh, multidrug-resistant TB, methicillin-resistant staph aureus. And, and your program and your site is exciting for those of us out in the field on the day-to-day basis because you're educating patients and you're doing something that's really critical for all of us right now. So it's a pleasure to be here, and and thank you for the hard work you do. Stephen, thank you so much for acknowledging the website and all of our volunteers that work so hard at maintaining and educating and working with healthcare providers like you to make a difference in the world. So we thank you so much for that. Um, My pleasure. Well, Stephen, I won't waste any time, but maybe you wouldn't mind explaining to our global listeners, what is your role as a physician assistant in geriatric medicine? 
So um, the physician assistant is a healthcare professional who is trained in uh, the medical model of diagnosis and management of disease, works supervised and affiliated with a physician or a group of physicians. There are many models for geriatric medicine. The model that I work in is primarily a skilled medicine or a skilled um, healthcare facility role. So during the course of my day, I drive to primarily one or two nursing homes, skilled nursing facilities, where we have um, both post-acute patients and long-term care patients. For the post-acute patients, we are working hard with our social services department, our physical therapy department, and the nursing staff to allow them to recover from their hospitalization. It's often um, status post a knee replacement or hip replacement or a fractured hip or falls and injuries or an acute problem like an MI or a pneumonia where the patient is not well enough to go home but not sick enough to stay in the hospital. So they stay in the post-acute care setting. We work with it in a team environment with, um, and it, until they are capable of going home um, or they transition to a long-term care, either facility or skilled nursing facility. Um, we participate, the PAs participate in uh, acute problems, acute changes. For instance, if I come in in the morning, uh, it's not uncommon to be approached about somebody who's had either confusion overnight or a new fever. Um, we set up information for the physician, uh, reconcile medications for their formal history and physical. Um, we participate in discharge planning. We work very carefully with the social services to make sure that patients leave the facility when is appropriate and uh, with the appropriate support going home. The physician assistant and the nurse practitioner are able to perform every other routine visit in a skilled nursing facility long-term care portion where the physician will see a patient one month, the PA or the nurse practitioner will see the, the patient the other month, and we divide up the work by um, uh, typically by um, every other month. Sorry, I'm being repetitive. Um, you know, my day is typically characterized by uh, rounding on our post-acute patients first and then later in the day seeing the, the long-term care patients and any acute problems that they may have. Wonderful. And your work is really so important, especially in both, you know, the internal medicine and geriatric medicine departments. And we appreciate all that you do, Stephen, for these patients. Um, Stephen, can you explain how you would characterize a geriatric or an older adult patient? You know, that's a great question. And um, I think it's actually very hard to do that. Um, you know, when in geriatric medicine, what we really focus on is more function than disease. Often, as we think of older adults, we think of people who are frail. But the reality is there's a wide variety of aging trajectories. Um, my mentor and friend and first supervising physician and first employer, quite frankly, was Dr. Walter Bortz. Um, you know, Wally and I worked together for 25 years before he retired. I went to his 80th birthday party. At 83, Walter ran the uh, Boston Marathon, and that was the year that the bomb went off. Um, oh. Wally continues to write. He has multiple books. He has an active blog on Huffington Post, and he intends to run the Boston Marathon at age 90. And, and I think that the reason that I bring Wally up is that, that, he, that 
in geriatric medicine, there's a wide variety of aging trajectories. We certainly become more frail with time. We lose a muscle mass, our skin changes, our hormones changes. There's really undeniable physiologic changes. But depending on the habits that we develop in our 30s, 40s, and 50s, as well as the luck of, of a genetic draw in some cases, there's really a wide variation with function and age. Um, I think often in geriatric medicine, we've, we find ourselves tasked with taking care of the frailest of the frail and the sickest of the sick, you know, complicated, complicated patients. But they're not necessarily representative of all older adults. And I think it's important um, both for, for middle-aged listeners as well as young listeners to hear that old doesn't necessarily mean early frailty and that the things that you do as you grow older, the habits you have, will often define how well you function into your 70s, 80s, and 90s. Exactly. And thank you, Stephen, for sharing that. And Stephen, what are some of the changes you see in a skilled nursing facility environment today compared to 30 years ago? I think the thing that that really startled me, you know, I I made a transition from a primary office-based internal medicine practice with with same-day appointments to the geriatric medicine team about a year and a half ago. And, and, you know, I've been in and out of nursing homes um, and community clinics for, you know, the 35 years that I've practiced. I think the thing that really struck me when I was there every single day was how sick the patients were coming out of the hospital. Um, patients who were in, incredibly frail with, with kidney, heart problems, often histories of cancers, who had fallen, who had confusion, sometimes dementia, and re- required a tremendous amount of, of medicine and clinical acumen to keep them comfortable, to meet their goals, to explore what their goals are. And, and I was just really quite surprised with how sick patients were. Um, I also really realized fairly quickly that there's a, a nice set of technologies that allow us to be to, to test and to treat in the skilled nursing facilities now, and I was impressed with that as well. I think the nurses are there's many more demands on the nurses, and that um, they're they're getting much more astute as time goes on, and we're forming good solid working teams together. Um, and uh, it, it's been a real eye-opener for me and a real pleasure to work with older adults. Wonderful. And, yes, we have heard in the grapevine of nursing that, yes, long-term care and the post-acute, um, there are more demands and there are more patients. And it's amazing how, uh, like you had said, how ill the patients are coming in from the hospital. So it's very, um, it's not like it was years ago, was it, is it? <laughs> It, it really isn't, and, you know, I cannot stress enough how critical nursing care is. Um, you know, we all like to think we're important, but um, heavens to Betsy, a good nurse is worth his or her weight in gold and makes all the difference in the world for everyone around them. Yeah, exactly, and thank you for that, Stephen. Stephen, what are the most common infections you manage in a skilled nursing facility? Um, so I'd say urinary tract infection, uh, pneumonia are, are common. Um, certainly C. diff uh, patients are often uh, transferred to us from the hospital with C. diff infections. Not uncommonly, post-surgical wounds, um, you know, that, that can be everything from minor and a short course of oral antibiotics to disastrous, you know, creating a cascade um, 
a set of events that end in death. Um, and certainly influenza, coughs and colds, um, but the flu season, we're on high alert. Exactly. And we're in the middle of that right now. So, and Stephen, what is the most important aspect of infection prevention in a skilled nursing facility? Um, <laughs> I, uh, my wife is an infection prevention uh, educator and nurse. Um, and um, so we talk about this often. Um, it's hand washing. It's careful attention to hand washing. And often, and it's also setting examples for people. Um, I'll often sit down with a patient and their family. We'll have a nice conversation. And I'll make it a point to excuse myself and explain that I'm going to wash my hands. Um, I, I think that both setting the example and performing it both in front of people or within their earshot is incredibly important, both for the patient and for the community. Beyond that, I, I think it's, it's following the, the infection prevention protocols that exist in nursing homes and in gently reminding the staff to do the same. You know, for people with C. diff, there's, you know, in our facility, there's always a, um, uh, when they're still on contact precautions, you know, there's a um, uh, setup for gowns and masks and gloves and gels and things like that just outside of the door. And it's, I think it's important for the clinical medical staff and the nursing staff to gown up and follow protocol every single time. And it's not uncommon to see some of the CNAs or sometimes some of the dietary people try to dash in just in order to do their little bit of work and not take the time to um, gown up. And, and at that point, it's a, an educational moment where you can remind people that, gosh, it's, it's really important to protect not only yourself, but everyone around you, including the family that you go home to, to follow these protocols and these procedures, you know, whatever they happen to be uh, while we're doing good infection prevention. Exactly. And thanks for reiterating that too, Stephen. Um, right now, we're going to pause for a commercial break. Uh, when we return, we will continue discussing elder care and the challenges encountered in a skilled nursing setting with our guest, Steve Johnson, physician assistant. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Join us on November 9th and 10th for the 5th Annual International C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Learn from the leading international topic experts and connect with corporate sponsors and exhibitors providing products and services combating C. difficile and healthcare-associated infections worldwide. For more information and to register online, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website at cdifffoundation.org or call one 877 2343. That's 1-844-4-C-DIFF. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. 
Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to C. diff Spores and More, Global Broadcasting Network, and we welcome our listeners joining us with our guest, Stephen Johnson, a physician assistant who has practiced in both internal medicine and geriatric medicine for over three decades and is here to discuss elder care and the challenges encountered in a skilled nursing setting. At this time, I would like to reintroduce our guest to the program. Welcome back, and thank you for being with us today, Stephen. Thank you. You're more than welcome, and we are so grateful that you took time out of your busy day to join us here today on the airwaves. And Stephen, before break, you were explaining uh, some of the more common infections in the skilled nursing facility. When it comes to um, treating a patient, when when do you take into consideration when you're treating a patient diagnosed with a urinary tract infection, better known as a UTI? So... Um, that's a, that's a great question, and um, I, I'd have to say that that it, it seems like a simple thing. And you know, when in internal medicine, I would often see younger adults, and uh, it was typically an easy an easy visit. You do some patient um, uh, education, you uh, you know, take a look at the urinalysis, you decide about the symptoms. For older adults, it's actually a, a much more challenging process. First of all, the, the symptoms for older adults are often, and, and primarily women, but men as well, but are often not pain or even frequency, but confusion and restlessness and, and lethargy. So there's all of a sudden an acute change. You know, you see somebody on one day and they're alert and they know where they are and they're talking about going home and their grandchildren. And then the next day they, they don't know where they are. They, they don't recognize people and, and you know something is going on. So when you approach it, you certainly get a urinalysis, and often the urinalysis will show pus in the urine, pyuria. Um, however, for older adults, we often really make a judgment about how sick they are before we decide to treat. Um, you know, we have to think, is something else going on here? Um, is this a new stroke? Is this a, a different infection like a pneumonia? Um, and the, the pyuria itself doesn't necessarily decide whether we treat a urinary tract infection. Um, we look at their vital signs. Are they stable or unstable? Um, we look at their renal function. We look at the medicines they're on. And typically, the medicine that's, that's critical to look for is an anticoagulant for those patients who are on atrial fibrillation and are on warfarin, because if you choose to use antibiotics, often you have to very carefully manage the, uh, the warfarin level to make sure that people don't become supra-therapeutic on their INR. 
Um, so we, we really take a look at what, is, what does the family want? How good was the urinalysis? Was it taken from a straight calf? Was it uh, maybe a, 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 messy, uh, a messy clean catch? How sick is the patient? And then we wait for the culture. Uh, typically, we try to wait for the culture unless the patient is really showing signs of illness. If we wait for the culture, then we can use a very specific antibiotic based on the profile of the patient, their allergies, and, and we can be more guided in our therapeutic treatment. Also, with older adults, we have to make sure that they have adequate hydration, that you know, their appetite often drops off. We need to encourage them to eat. Um, you know, we work with the, uh, the nursing staff and the CNAs to make sure that, that they don't just stop eating. We make sure they're comfortable. Often people will chill, and older adults have a tendency to, um, uh, to, to, be a little, to run a little bit on the cold side, so we want to make sure that they're, they're comfortable and that their needs are tended to. Um, so, you know, what seems to be pretty simple when you're 20 or 30 actually turns into a very careful and considered conversation and thought process when you work with older adults with these uh, acute onset symptoms that suggest a urinary tract infection. Wow, it's amazing, Stephen, how it all changes as they, as a, a, you know, individual ages. Um, like you said, when you go from a simple, you know, diagnosis to one that can be get very complicated as they get older. And and I think it's Im- important to say is that that my perspective and what I'm talking about is is not the 75 year old you know, fully functional man or woman who walks into their doctor, but I'm, I'm really, I'm talking about a skilled nursing facility. Many of the same things you'll think about, renal function, uh, medications, um, you know, how functional the patient is, et cetera. Um, but, but a lot of what I'm offering right now is sort of the sickest of the sick in a skilled nursing facility. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And thank you for clarifying that. And Stephen, what do you take into consideration when treating a patient diagnosed with pneumonia? So it's it's in many ways it's much the same, um, you know, it, it and it gets very very complicated um, as many as you probably know and you've probably heard in in many cases pneumonia has been called the old person's friend, um, meaning that it is a a way to die, um, and for people who have been uncomfortable at the end of their life sometimes this is the the illness that tips them over, we. So we, we often have to think about where is this person in their life journey? Are they on hospice, for instance? Are they on palliative care? What are their wishes? And these are things we take pains to define as they come into the facility and in speaking with their family. How much do you want? Do you want to be intubated? Do you want to go back to the hospital? And so we start with the patient's wishes. If they're, if they're sick, there's a really critical point where we decide how sick in relation to their wishes. If they're on hospice, it's an easy decision. It's all comfort care. You might use antibiotics. You may just do um, comfort-related measures. Um, But if they are ill but not so sick that they want or need to go to the hospital, you follow their respiratory status, their fever. Um, You follow their energy, their appetite. Again, you look at lab work. Do they have an elevated white count? Is it a little elevated? Is it a lot elevated? You check their oxygen saturation and the respiratory status. Are they struggling to breathe? That's acutely uncomfortable for any human being, and you make clinical decisions based on what's going on with, with how comfortable they are in the respiratory status. 
You also need to have, particularly for older adults and older adults who have dementia, a broad differential diagnosis. You know, you think of pneumonia with a cough and a fever or a cough and confusion, but it could also be a pneumonia with congestive heart failure or tip somebody over into congestive heart failure or congestive heart failure alone. It could be influenza, in which case you're really thinking about how am I going to protect my facility and all the other frail patients down the hallway. Um, if it's a bacterial pneumonia, um, you do your best to decide what course of antibiotics will be appropriate here. Will they be oral? Will they be IV? Um, and that's one of the nice things about the current skilled nursing facilities is you can start people on IV antibiotics now and give them a little bit of fluid if their renal function is off. Um, you make your best guess to the pathogen. They're usually gram-positive cocci or gram-negative bacilli, and um, then you start treatment, and then fortunately with the, the nurses that we have, we follow closely, and they sometimes call us late at night to say things are going well or things are not going well. Um, and that, in many parts, that's, that's one of the really great things about working in a skilled nursing facility is you develop these relationships with your, your day shift, your evening shift, and sometimes your night shift so that there's, there's often an easy communication and, and you know you know, who's new, who's experienced, um, who's more frightened and who's less frightened. And, and you strive to work together as a team to meet that patient's needs for that period of life and for how sick they are. Okay. Well, thank you so much for that, Stephen. And there's a lot that goes into this. It's like you said, not straightforward. Um, Stephen, when it comes to infection prevention, what is a patient's responsibility so there's, there's a couple of things that, that I think of. Um, first is cover your cough. If you have a cough or a cold, um, you know, try to isolate yourself a little bit. Make sure you cover with your elbow um, and um, uh, make sure that you're not spreading infection where you go. And then carefully, carefully wash your hands when you're ill. Um, and then I think really importantly, and it's not an insult, is that patients can and should and families can and should gently ask me if I've washed my hands or gelled before I touch um, you. Um, I, I think that it's, it, it's critical that patients assume, I won't say skepticism, but, but uh, a partnership with their clinical staff, uh, nurses, aides, anyone. If, you know, if you're going to touch me, let's make sure everybody's hands are clean. And we can't stress hand washing enough, can we, Stephen? No, no, we cannot. <laughs> we cannot. <laughs> and that's on a universal level. Yes. Um, um, okay, well, when you talk about the family's responsibility, what would it be with the infection prevention in a skilled nursing facility? Um, so the first is don't come in sick. Um, it's, it's, and don't bring in sick children to see grandma. Um, you know, it's, you risk everyone in the facility as well as the providers and the staff. Um, families need to remember they're visiting a community uh, of, of very frail adults. Um, families need to respect the staff and their workload. Often, you know, people have an impression that, that hospitals and skilled nursing facilities are more like hotels, and they're not. 
um, families need to pitch in and wash their hands. Um, and they can advocate for the patient. Um, you know, if you're if you're sitting in a in a uh, say a C diff's patient's room and you're gowned up and you've got your gloves on and your gown on, and somebody sort of pops in to quickly do something and they haven't done that, it's perfectly appropriate for the family to say, "Would you please follow protocol? Would you please dress appropriately to protect everyone here?" And and of course, the families can gently remind people to wash their hands as well. Okay, that's great. And thank you so much, Stephen, for sharing this amount of resourceful information with our global listeners. We're going to pause right now for a commercial break. And when we return, we will continue discussing elder care and the challenges encountered in a skilled nursing setting with our guest, Stephen Johnson, physician assistant. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. To help support the CDF Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate, or call toll free 1 844 4 CDF. That's 1 844 367 2343. Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. The CDF Foundation offers global community support sessions. CDF can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety, as well as learn about upcoming events, teleconferences, and support sessions. To register for a session, call the CDF Foundation at 1-844-4C-DIF. 1-844-367-2343 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. Join us on November 9th and 10th for the 5th Annual International C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Learn from the leading international topic experts and connect with corporate sponsors and exhibitors providing products and services combating C. difficile and healthcare-associated infections worldwide. For more information and to register online, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website at cdifffoundation.org or call one 877 2343. That's 1-844-4 C. diff. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. 
are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, and we thank you for joining us today with our guest, Stephen Johnson, physician assistant who has practiced in both internal medicine and geriatric medicine for over three decades. Stephen is here to discuss elder care and the challenges encountered in a skilled nursing setting. Welcome back to the program, Stephen. Thank you very much, Nancy. Oh, you're welcome. We're so glad to have you here today with us. And Stephen, maybe you can explain what is a silver tsunami? So the, it's, it's a phrase that I first heard from um, my, my friend and my, one of my current supervisors, Dr. Peter Chang. Um, he's the head of the geriatric medicine um, uh, division at the Palo Alto Medical Foundation. Um, and it's, you know, it's something that people have probably heard of in, in different terms, like the graying of America or a population shift. And, and what it really implies is a dramatic population shift of older adults. In um, 2014, there were 46.2 million people over the age of 65. It's about, it's a little under 15% of the population. Um, one in seven adults are over 65. In 2020, which is right around the corner, it's projected to have 56 million older adults. And in 2040, 82 million older adults are 21% of the population. And you're seeing this, this transition to older, um, older adults um, worldwide. And it has significant impact on healthcare resources, how we treat illnesses, how aggressive we are, how we relate to older adults, and um, the, the challenges for the, both the nursing and the skilled nursing and the hospital and the entire medical profession that then turns around and impacts society as a whole. We're seeing a dramatic shift in older adults. Absolutely. Those are astounding numbers. I mean, 46.2 million right now, okay, and then in 2040, 82 million? That's the projection. That's amazing. 21% of the population, so that it, it's something to think about. So, <laughs> Yeah, a lot to think about, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, well, Stephen, can you take a moment and explain to our global listeners the difference between custodial care and skilled nursing care? Both patients are in the same nursing facility, and I, I, it's something that we would really appreciate you explaining to us. So, you know, I'll, I'll do my best, and this is a source of confusion for families and for patients, um, and often a source of contention with, with the staff, both the medical staff and the social services staff. So, skilled nursing is exactly that. It, it's uh, um, a patient who has... Uh, rehabilitation needs, um, acute care needs, medication, physical therapy, close monitoring, maybe they're on oxygen, need somebody to give them their medications during a period of time after an acute illness or surgery or injury. And so there's a, you should think of it as a recovery time. And, and I think what's important about this is that Medicare and or your insurance covers this as a benefit. So, you know, you go to the hospital, you fall down, you break your hip, you're older, you can't go home, you live alone, you go to a nursing facility, 
The staff there help you get better, and at a certain point, you find that you hopefully are able to take care of yourself and return to your prior level of function. The challenge for families and for patients is that custodial care is the more activities of daily living. And you can have a very frail older adult who's just sort of hanging on, falls and injures themselves, goes through, you know, goes to the hospital, goes to the skilled nursing facility, is recovers to the point where they've met their, their basic goals of care. But then they transition into somebody who just needs to be taken care of. They're, they may have an underlying dementia. They can't go home and be safe. They can't manage their own medicines. They can't manage a checkbook. They're, they're um, liable for uh, financial scams. They need help with their activities of daily living and instrumental activities of daily living. You know, it's washing, bathing, managing a phone, managing a computer. And it's not uncommon for an acute illness to reveal the frailty of an over, older adult that then they transition into custodial care. The, the real issue here is that insurance covers one, but it doesn't cover the other. And so often families are faced with a fairly substantial outlay of money to continue to take care of a sick older adult that is not covered by your medical insurance. Now, you can certainly buy long-term care insurance, which often covers a portion of that, but often it goes to family resources or you work with social services or your family and you spend down and then that's where Medicaid in California, it's called Medi-Cal, um, kicks in and then covers the cost of housing and nursing and support for older adults who are really too frail or too sick to live alone. Does that make sense? Does, it, does that explain it? It's, it's, a hard, it's a hard thing for families to hear and, and it's a little complicated between, you know, this is skilled and this is custodial. Exactly. Yeah, and it, it was explained perfectly, Stephen. Thank you. And actually, we can even say skilled nursing, it, it becomes more of your the skilled nursing facility, like you said, short-term care. And the custodial care, it ends up to be the long-term care. Um, that, and that, that's, that's also, exactly. yeah, and when they're discharged to home and they need that continued custodial care, um, they become... Um, a home, you know, homebound, and one of the family members usually ends up to be the caregiver. That's exactly right. It's typically the spouse or the children, um, and that is a cost across um, generations. And um, it it and as our as our society gradually grows older, it puts pressure on the generation behind us. Um, you know, typically my generation, I, I I lived through this where I had a a teenage son and a frail older parents who were in their 80s and 90s. And I was torn between taking care of my parents and then supporting my son as he went through school. And uh, it is a unique stressor. We went through it with my wife's parents as well. And I think it's a, it's a common experience for those of us in our 30s, in our 40s and 50s and 60s to have older parents and the, still the challenges of a working life and kids at home. Exactly. And I just want to say something really quick, Stephen, that, that we do know nowadays this is not as uncommon as it was years ago. And there are support, um, the support groups, and there are resources online in uh, on the websites uh, for caregivers. So they aren't alone. There are also a lot of resources that they can receive some help and guidance on how to do this. That's, so that's just, absolutely true. Yeah. And, and that's helpful. 
And Stephen, moving on, can you explain what goals of care are? Sure. So the, the goals of care, um, it's, a, it's a conversation. It's exactly what it is. It's a conversation between you and your primary care physician and hopefully your family, the people most important to you. And what you're defining is what's most important to you now and in the near future. What medical intervention do you want? What's reasonable? What do you, you know, in a sense, what do you dread? What are you afraid of? What do you want to avoid? And it's important that the conversation happens so that we can communicate that to the people around you and to the medical team. For instance, if you're 78 years old and you have congestive heart failure, you've had a heart attack, you've fallen, you've fractured a hip, it's an important conversation to have had to say, how aggressive do you want us to be? Do you want CPR? Do you want to be in the ICU? And part of the conversation is explaining what that actually means. Um, you know, CPR that you see on television is almost always successful. And in real life, it's almost never successful. It involves broken ribs. It involves pain and discomfort. And, and, and so I think it's important for the healthcare team, nurses, PAs, NPs, physicians, to take the time to, to gather what do you want? What is your actual goal of care? If you've been sick for a long time, say you have you know, in-stage cancer, in-stage heart disease, it's important to say, how far do you want to push? How far do you want us to go in trying to keep you alive? And it's an important conversation because it defines the actions of the rest of the team and it helps us communicate that to family members and, um, and other professionals. Okay, Stephen. And so this would be also the beginning of developing advanced directives? So absolutely. You know, the advanced directive is typically a document. You can find them online. Many people have them as part of their trusts or work them out with an attorney um, where you specify your wishes. And most importantly, who's going to speak for you if you can't? And that's critical. So if, if I fall down and, and I'm unconscious, the person who's designated in the, in the living will or the advanced directive is, um, is considered the durable power of attorney for health care, and they have a responsibility to speak for me and what my medical wishes might be. Um, you know, they have the authority to make medical decisions and even enforce your personal wishes in court if necessary. If I fall and I, and I have significant brain damage and I've decided I don't want to live like that, but I wind up coming out of treatment with a feeding tube, my um, uh, durable power of healthcare, durable power of attorney for healthcare can actually challenge that in court and speak as my advocate. Um, and that's what the advanced directive does. It designates a person that will speak for you. Your, your, you know, your, your person can hire and fire doctors. Um, they have access to your medical records. They have visitation rights. So there's a responsibility that allows them to intervene and support your personal wishes. It could be for, you know, we've even had patients who have had personal wishes to be frozen after death so that they can be revived at a future date. Um, the, the person who has the uh, uh, advanced directive is the person that works with us to make sure that that happens. Does that make sense? 
Absolutely, it does. And Stephen, we thank you so much for the important information you're sharing. Um, Right now, we're going to pause for a commercial break. And when we return, we will continue discussing elder care and challenges encountered in a skilled nursing setting with our guest, Stephen Johnson, physician assistant. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. To help support the CDF Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate or call toll free 1 844 4CDF. That's 1 844 367 2343. Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Join us on November 9th and 10th for the 5th Annual International C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Learn from the leading international topic experts and connect with corporate sponsors and exhibitors providing products and services combating C. difficile and healthcare-associated infections worldwide. For more information and to register online, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website at cdifffoundation.org or call one 877 2343. That's 1-844-4-C-DIFF. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? washed your hands. Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, and thank you for joining us today with our guest, Stephen Johnson, physician assistant who has um, practiced in both internal medicine and geriatric medicine for over three decades. Stephen is here to discuss elder care and the challenges encountered in a skilled nursing setting. Welcome back to the program, Stephen. Thank you, Nancy. 
Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for being here. And Stephen, before we close our program today, would you mind sharing some information about the role of a geriatric medicine physician? Sure, I'd actually be delighted to. You know, the the geriatric medicine physician is a board specialty, board certified physician who has taken extra education and clinical experience in the care of older adults. And I think it's important to go over the numbers here in the United States. Right now, there's about 7,300 physicians who specialized in geriatric medicine in the years, you know, 2015 to 2016. The American Geriatric Society Medical Workforce um, Committee estimates that we actually need about 17,000 geriatric medicine specialists for the roughly 12 million frail elders that, uh, that we have in this country. I think it's so, you know, there's, there's a real healthcare person power workforce shortage. And I think that's where physician assistants and nurse practitioners working in concert with internal medicine and family practice physicians can really make an impact in taking care of older adults. The geriatric medicine physician is really focuses on holistic care. They're often managing four to six or eight chronic conditions at a time. Their focus, and I think this is important, is on function. It's not so much the medicine you take for your congestive heart failure, although that's important, but it's how far can you walk and what can you do in home. And you focus on family and social support, which is incredibly important. It's often in a team environment where you have you know, nurses, social workers, PAs like myself, nurse practitioners, um, and uh, they're, they all work together to take care of groups of patients. There's, there's interestingly, there's, there's different models of geriatric medicine, particularly in large organizations like multi-specialty clinics like mine. Um, you know, one is a primary care relationship where you act just like your internist, you take on a panel of older adults, but you can only manage so many people. And I think with, with so few geri- geriatric physicians, what we're going to be seeing is consultant care, specialty care, where the, the geriatric physician works with the primary care provider to address the unique challenges of the older adult and to provide you know, measurements and time and resources that sometimes primary care doesn't have. Um, and that's actually the model that we have here is more of a team-based. We have a consultative service with our primary care departments in the organization, and then we staff select nursing homes to work with our surgeons as well as our primary care um, physicians and our specialty physicians to manage patients in the skilled nursing facilities. Thank you so much, Stephen. And before we close the program, do you have any closing comments that you'd like to share maybe about um, the aging and the health? Sure. There's there's a couple of things that I would, you know, working with older adults, um, we see some of the mistakes that we make and we see the mistakes that our patients make. And and the advice that I would give about aging and health is is very simple. You know, in a world overwhelmed with information, there's three things you think about in your 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, and that's one, be active. Be active physically, be active in your mind. Read, think, exercise. The next thing you need to think about, you need to be calm. Meditation, prayer has a significant health benefit and a social benefit. And the third thing, you need to be connected. You need to Talk with your family. Talk with your friends. Have organizations that you belong to, a larger sense of community than just the, the family around you or just work. Those are the things that are the main determinants of how we age 
and how we develop habits and how we grow old and how functional we are in our 70s, 80s, and hopefully our 90s. Exactly. And Stephen, we can't thank you enough for being here with us today. You provided us with a wealth of information for patients, their families, and fellow healthcare professionals, and we certainly do appreciate it. So we thank you once again for being with us today on CDIP Spores and More Global Broadcasting Network, and we certainly do look forward to having you back in the future. Nancy, thank you so much. It's been a privilege to talk with you today, and thanks for your hard work. Uh, well, thank you, and thank you for your hard work, and we appreciate all the physician assistants and what you're all doing out there, and thank you so much for all the uh, dedication. We really do appreciate it. Thank and you. now, um, you're most welcome, and lis- we ask our listeners to remember to listen in every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time with our guests to discuss up-to-date information focused on, yet not limited to, C. difficile infection prevention, treatments, clinical studies, environmental safety, and much more. Once again, we thank our official sponsor, Clorox Healthcare, for making this program possible. Visit their website, cloroxhealthcare.com forward slash radio. We would also like to thank Synthetic Biologics for being a diamond sponsor of the 5th Annual International C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo, taking place on November 9th and 10th in Las Vegas, Nevada. For more information on the conference, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website, cdifffoundation.org. We send out our get well wishes to all patients being treated and recovering from a C. difficile infection and the many wellness draining illnesses being combated across the globe. I'm your host, Nancy Corella, with our reminder, none of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. We wish you good health and a good day. Thank you for tuning in this week for C. diff, spores, and more. Be sure to join your host, Nancy Kerala, again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of our program on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. It's staff and management.